All right, if you've got your Bibles, let's go ahead and turn to the book of Matthew. We're going to start a new series uh, starting in today. So if, you, if you've got that, our uh, scripture reading today is Matthew chapter 4. So I want to encourage you to turn there. Before we read, just want to mention again, last week, thank you for everybody that was a part of the baptism. Uh, it was a, a great day, seven people that we love, uh, some very young and some not quite so young, who got baptized together, standing in the rain, so we were all out there together in the Shively's again. We just really appreciate you guys opening up your home. Thank you so much for being so hospitable. It was really, was it a good day? Okay, well, it was. You know, so again, really encouraged by that. Thankful for the way that God's moving and uh, exciting to get to share those things together. Uh, another thing I wanted to mention before we, before we read is those of you who knew Craig Ray and Bree, you'll be praying for them because Bree is having a baby as we speak. And um, I've never done that myself. Uh, my wife has, but I haven't. So, you know, I, I, I assume that that would be a good thing for us to keep remembering them and praying for them. Uh, so, so again, if you don't know Craig and Bree, I want to encourage you to, to get to know them at some point. Uh, God's just working in, in their lives, and, and uh, they're great friends of ours. Um, so, and then, um, so I just want to bring those to you and, and make sure that we remember those things. We are, like I said, we're starting into a new uh, sermon series. And the series, what we're calling it is, When Jesus is Your King. And it's a look through the Sermon on the Mount. So Matthew chapter 5 through 7. Today, what we're going to do is, is kind of roll into that by taking a look at what Jesus' key sermon, the thing that Jesus preached the most, if you had to boil it all down, this is what he was saying, and I hope that we're going to see some encouraging news for us today, practically, to, to take home with us. Um, so that's, that's our goal. So we, we have to kind of back up uh, one chapter from chapter 5 and begin right here in Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 7. So let me go ahead and, and, and read this. Matthew chapter 4 now. When he heard that John had been arrested, he being Jesus, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and he lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way by the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness seen a great light and for those dwelling in the region in the shadow of death on them a light has dawned from that time jesus he began to preach saying repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand this is the word of the lord all right let me begin with this statement this morning. Actually, let me just pray and then we'll, we'll jump in. Father, uh, asking for your help today, trusting because you're so good that you're going to give it. 
So we're asking you to take um, concepts and ideas and truths and bring them to us along with yourself. God, we don't want to be here without you. We don't want to go into our, our, into our day without you with us. Lord, we don't want to be isolated. We don't want to be separated from you. Instead, we want to recognize and understand and invite and ask, would you please just come meet with us again today? In, in, in a unique way that reminds us then, this afternoon, that you're still with us and reminds us tomorrow morning that you're still with us and it reminds us uh, whatever we face on Monday, that you have not left us. You haven't forsaken us. Instead, you are the God who is gracious and merciful and patient like we looked at last week. So please, Lord, because we're your children, we ask that you would come. In your name we pray. Amen. Start with this statement. Uh, something that we're going to be looking at, the reason that we want to look through the Sermon on the Mount is to gain good perspective. We want to really get a good picture of who is Jesus so that we really understand who He is. And we want to get a good understanding about what the Gospel really is in, in our lives. And we, we continue to go back to that. Here's a statement that the, that the Sermon on the Mount would somewhat pull out of our lives. And the statement is this. The Gospel isn't for good people and it's rejected by bad people. The gospel is actually for bad people and it's actually rejected by really good people. So let me say that again. The gospel isn't for good people. Loving people. Kind people. Helpful people. And then it's rejected by, by those, those bad people. See, this is sort of the image that I had when I was growing up. Uh, I've told you before that uh, I had the privilege of going to Christian schools all my life up until ninth grade. And in ninth grade, I got transitioned from this minuscule little Christian school where you knew everybody by name to suddenly walking into a 2,000-person high school down in, in uh, northern New Jersey. And it was just intimidating. It was scary to me. I, I, you know, and, and here was my big perspective. I was going into the world. You know, I, I was walking bravely, boldly. Okay, not bravely or boldly. I hid. I, I was, you know, I, was, I looked like this pretty much. And then by the end of the year, I looked like, ah, turn. Yep. No, well, yeah. Well, by the end of the year, I was about that much taller and uh, I still had a, a ball for a head. So, you know, I mean, the, I, I just hid behind plants. It was my, my place. I just tried to find place. Why? Because I was in the world. And everything I had heard about the world, that these people were, were hateful, and spiteful, and terrible. That was the picture that was drawn from me. They would hate me. It's, fu it's funny, but that wasn't what I really found. And instead, I actually found sort of this reverse part to that because... A lot of the people that I met out there were at times more genuine than my Christian school friends. I'm not saying anything about Christian school. I'm just talking more about the fact that inside of my school, we had a lot of really good people. 
really good people. And out there were all these really bad people. But one of the things that we see in the Sermon on the Mount as we go through this is actually the gospel is more potent and powerful for really bad people. And it gets rejected. It gets rejected by good people. What, what I found about this region is a lot of us in this region, we know, we know Jesus in some way. My neighbors all have some connection. And it's funny to me because all of them have a connection that goes back not to their parents but to their grandparents. And they have this one sense where they grew up maybe going to, to Sunday school. They grew up going to some sort of church for some amount of time. And yet they have all, all my neighbors at least, have all walked away from that. There's nothing new that I'm saying to them. Okay? And they, they kind of like Jesus. They, they, they admire Him. But they admire Him from a distance. And as we see people come in here, it, it happens time and time again. I had a conversation uh, this week with some friends of mine, a couple, and, and it was interesting because what, what she was saying the, the cu- in this couple, the wife was saying, I really want to be a good Christian. But I guess I just stink at it. I'm just not really good at this. I I can't... I I try to apply myself. I try to work at it. I try to get somewhere on this. But as I try to do that, I just... I can't can't keep it up. Maybe maybe there's this, this type of person out there who's really good at being... A Christian. Maybe there's this person out there who, who you know, just seems to have this gifting or this ability, this knack for spirituality that can can drive their life. But I, I can't. And I don't think she's alone in saying that. And I'm not just saying those are people who leave the church. I'm willing to admit and and bet that there's some even in here right now. Who internally, if we looked inside your soul, you would sit there and go, you know what? I'm never going to be Olympic when it comes to my faith. I, I might not even make varsity when it comes to my faith. And in fact, I might not even make like town rec league when it comes to my faith. That's what I'm, I'm hoping for. But what happens inside of theirs is we begin to um, we begin to kind of give up quietly. Not purposefully, but we begin to settle into a place where we think to ourselves, I guess I'm just not good at this. So I'll go to church. I'll do the things that I know I'm supposed to do, but but I kind of give up on whether or not God could ever really care about me. And I, and I, I guess I've got to kind of give up. I'm tired of failing. I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but has anyone ever felt that? I'm tired of, of failing. I'm tired of being weak at this. Well, maybe that's maybe that's where you are. And the reason that we're going to look at the Sermon on the Mount is I want you and me to understand that if that's where you're at, you are exactly the one that Jesus came for. If that's where you are at, 
You are exactly the one. Jesus is attracted to the weak. Jesus is attracted to the guilty. He's, he's attracted to those that are just perplexed. He's, he's attracted to those that are exhausted. The strong people, the people who can stand on their own, the people who really don't need much help, they just need some direction. The, it, it, it's like, uh, you know, Mark and I got to do a little um, rifle training yesterday. And uh, you pull out the state of Maine rules and regulations on, on hunting, you know. And, and essentially what the strong need is, is a, a nice color graphic uh, informational paper that tells them, Oh, I got to look up on on this topic of my life, parenting. Well, I got to uh, flip this open, find out what the rules are. Tell me what the rules are, because I can follow those. If there's unclarity, I might not be able to keep them. But if you could just make this clear enough for me, I can do this, Jesus. I can handle this on my own. But that's not who Jesus' best friends were. Jesus' best friends were actually the ones that were desperate. Jesus is not um, the private property of some elite. Christians, Jesus is the king of the broken. And when we're broken, and we're honest with him about it, and we're real, we're, we're able to actually be real with him about it, that's when we find out that he's willing to be real with us. I mean, it's so hard for us at times to, to walk in the light of honesty. To walk in the light of honesty. We, we feel this pressure to perform. But when we walk in that light of honesty, you know what? We find Him in there. We find Him where we find them. There in the light. So uh, that's why we're going to look at this. Okay, I, I'm going to ask us as we go through this, just to kind of keep keep your mind open. I'm asking you to pray for me as we go through this, because I, I think um, reality is for, for most of us, our conception of Jesus as we come to this, as we're trying to understand who Jesus is and how Jesus ministers, we come at it with a lot of stuff, a lot of baggage. You know, our 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 chalkboard. Someone's taken the whiteboard of our life and they've written on it with those wrong markers. The, the stuff is, is it's on there. And you can see where people have tried to erase it. And all you get is that smeary mess on there. You know, like that big red streak of somebody trying to get rid of that. These things are really on there. Some things on there are accurate and some things are true. But some of those things are not accurate and some of them are not true. Some of our experiences, some of the things that we've told ourselves. Remember, we keep going back to this as, as people we tend to go back and we kind of say, I think God is like this. And we don't build it on who God has revealed himself to be. We just build it on God wouldn't be like anything but what I think he would be. Those things are on the board too. Because they're on there, we don't really know Jesus. So part of what we want to do is go through the Sermon on the Mount to say, let's find out what Jesus is really speaking into our lives. Let's not assume that we understand Jesus. In fact, maybe it's better to go into it and say, let's assume that we don't. Let's be, let's be fresh eyes. Look in the Word. Let's find out what Jesus says it looks like to be His disciples, to follow Him. That's what we're looking for.
So I'm asking you just to come with me into this kind of place of just openness. And, and that's why we want to start here today in chapter 4, really just kind of focusing on verse 17. If this is Jesus' constant message, then we need to understand this is the core of what Jesus is saying. Remember, he says it here. If you went over to Mark chapter 1, verse 15, you'd see the same uh, message right there when Jesus began his ministry. So Mark and Matthew both admit, boy, this is the core of what Jesus is preaching. When Jesus sent out the 12 on their first missions trip, what did he tell them to preach? Repent, because the, gospel, the, the kingdom of God is at hand. When he sent out the 70 on their missions trip, what did he, what did he call them to preach? Repent, for the gospel of the kingdom is at, at, is at hand. So, so this is the core of his message, and that's why we want to go ahead and, and get started here. So I want to just ask two questions of us of, of the passage today. I want to make sure that we, we think through this at least. What did Jesus mean when he said repent? And then the second one is, what does he mean when the kingdom of heaven is at hand? So, so the first one is, this is the action. The second one is to say the reason for the action. So that's what we're, we're going to look at here today. So the first one. What did Jesus mean when he said repent? We've got to kind of admit right now. I mean, how many of us sit there and go, I am really good at repenting? I mean, how many of us sit there and go, I've really built up a skill. I'm quite talented. I've written a book on how to repent. I know exactly how to repent. I feel really good about this. I think most of us would sit there and go, wow, it's it's a word I really recognize. It's a concept I think I understand, but I'm not sure that I have completely down. And, and I'm not always sure. And, and even if you go back in Christian history, the way that people talked about repentance, it, it deviates, it turns off. Here, here's an example. Uh, as I was studying this week, I found out that Jerome, okay, brilliant scholar, and he translated the Bible into Latin around 400 A.D. How long did the church really focus on using that translation? The next 1,100 years. This is a lasting, the, the Latin translation of the Bible. So when, when Jerome translated this, this, this great scholar, he took this word right here, and he took the word repent, and you know what word he put in there? Do penance. Do penance, because the kingdom of God is at hand. Do penance. Is that repentance? It's not. I mean, what he's saying is, hey, show God how sorry you really are. And, and is that always a bad thing? Am I, am I saying that, that showing God how sorry you are is a bad thing? No, I'm not saying that. You and I could admit there's times where we can be just, oh, so completely sorry. And and we can just weep, you know, buckets full of tears without having any real ounce of repentance. So uh, case number one, do you have children? Or have you ever met a child? Have you ever been a child? You remember those times when your mom would sit there and say to you, what are you doing? And you were doing something wrong. And then she would say, don't hurt your brother. Don't hurt your sister. What are you doing? And, and, and get on you. And then what did, what did 
what did mom say at that point? Say you're sorry. And how deep did that really go? I mean, parents, we get a little cynical about this at this point, aren't we? Anybody else in this cage? I'm, I'm, I'm a little cynical uh, about that with my kids. That's why, parents, we need to go to the heart and not just to get the right actions, right? We cannot simply get our kids to do right things. We have to try and help them find out what's inside of their, inside of their hearts. But in the same way, you and I need to be careful not to just do right things. Not just to say, oh, I'm sorry. Not just to come forward. Not just to give more money in the offering plate. Not just to, to, to make some sort of a, of a sign and say, okay, God, here, you know, I'm an idiot and wear it walking down the street and kind of do this as penance and say, look, God, I'm really sorry for what I did. Repentance is far more than that. Because repentance is not just this momentary discipline thing. Repentance changes us. It's not repentance if it doesn't change us. When we, when we do penance, it just makes us feel that we've paid our dues off. And now I'm off the hook. And now I can get out of the way I've always lived. It's one of the concerns we have even when we take communion together. Because there can be a Pavlovian sort of response that right now, when, when the elements are being passed, all of a sudden now I'm supposed to be sorry to God for what I've done. Then when I leave here, I can feel better and go do what I want to do. Then next month, I can be sorry on cue. Is communion a negative that way? No. But is it enough if I simply stir up feelings where where I just try to make myself feel really, really guilty about that? Is that repentance? It's not. I want to give us a definition in just a minute. But, but what happens here with wh- why this really matters is, is, is this, okay? When we do penance, it actually locks us up. It imprisons us in this, I don't know, kind of holy shallowness. Because I can't let you know about it. I have to, again, I have to act the right way. I have to do the right things, even though my heart is saying something completely different. And the penance doesn't change my heart. So what do I have to do? I have to lock myself up in that area. I have to keep myself from that area. I have to become Spartan. I have to become, I have to master myself. And I can't let myself do what my heart wants Repentance hasn't taken root. I haven't changed. My desires haven't changed. I can still love food just as much if I don't eat it. I can still love a drink just as much if I don't drink it. So what what Jesus wants for us is more than that. It's deeper than that. So what did he mean by repent? Well, you know, again, the, the first of the 95 theses that, that Martin Luther put up, we've mentioned this before, it, it went this way. Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ in saying repent intended that the whole life of believers should be repentance. So true repentance is not just like praying a prayer. It, it, it's not just saying I'm sorry. True repentance is bigger than just a momentary thing. Instead, 
what I want to say is that true repentance is actually this, this Godward tilt, this inclination of the heart at the very center of my being. It's this, it's this leaning of my heart to want to go back towards God. It's an inclination of my heart to say, I'm not going to find my life there. Instead, I find my life in who Jesus is for me. Because in that moment, repentance, I see how I've wronged and I've hated Jesus. And yet I also see how much He still loves me. And that love woos me and it actually um, something deep inside of me changes and what I want is him I don't want to settle for less so true repentance is a new heart within and it touches everything about us not a single one of us is consistent but when we enter into repentance we give Jesus free access to just every area of our lives we're open We're open. And that's what Jesus meant when he said, repent. Come, be known. Come, be open. The price that we pay for repentance, though, is we've got to face who we really are. This is the part I find the hardest about parenting. Because I can force my kids at this age to say I'm sorry. I'm big enough and ugly enough and they're small enough and skinny enough that at this point they kind of have to do it. The problem is is they're not going to be that size for the rest of their lives. They're not going to live underneath my roof for the rest of their lives and I'm not helping them. So the question has to come, hey, let's find out what was going on in your heart. Let's talk about this. It's the same thing I have to do with my own heart. Find out what was going on in my heart. What was I looking for in there? But there's so many things that we don't want to face. There's things that we were supposed to do and we didn't do. There's things that we're not supposed to do and yet we do them. And it can be shameful and it can be embarrassing and it can be frightening and defeating and paralyzing. And so what we do is we bury it, we ignore it. Or some of us man up and we sit there and go, I'm going to conquer it. You know? And uh, we're going after our sin. And we're we're just going to... We can take this thing. But that's not repentance. Jesus didn't say, go on a lion hunt for your sin. Jesus said, repent. And what it calls on us is to be honest. I think it's one of the reasons why, you know, we sit around and we watch so much TV, right? I don't have to deal with what's going on in here. There's a lot of noise. I don't have to deal with who I really am and what I know about me that you don't know about me. But if we keep doing that, Jesus just stays really a nice theory, a nice idea, a nice character. But Jesus wants to be more than that. But when we get empty enough and we're exhausted enough that we can bring our very worst self to Jesus and just pour out our story into his presence, that's when the real Jesus begins to become really real with us. You know, today could actually be the time where some of us are going to finally go, Jesus, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for trying to look like the kid you want me to be. 
instead of being honest with who I really am. Some of us are too angry to do that. We're ticked off at Jesus because he hasn't been what we want him to be or he hasn't forced people to be what we want them to be. So we're mad. Some of you are mad at Jesus because of the way your story is written out. Some of you, you might be so afraid of the abuse of Jesus. If I come with one complaint, if I come with one thing, man, I know who I am. I know my backstory. I'm getting booted out of this family, and he won't love me anymore. That's not who Jesus is. So, so let's let's talk about three um, three realities when it comes to repentance. Because John Piper just released uh, released this refined Baptist catechism. If you you know, I, I've been looking at. It. I just I just picked it up uh, recently. You can just download it as a PDF. It's sort of a, a revision of the Westminster Shorter Catechism. But the idea is that you can sit down with your family. And you can say, okay, here's a question. The question we're going to look at today is, what is repentance unto life? And it's based on the 1648 um, Westminster Shorter Catechism. And then it gives us theological answers, and it gives you some uh, verses. It's a great way, a super uh, way that the church has always gone through this with their families. So not just children's ministry programs, as great as those are, or Sunday school. This is, this is the key way that we should be walking through these things with our own kids, right? But in there, the question is, what is repentance? What is repentance? What is repentance unto life? The idea of unto life means not just, you know, not just a way to kind of get yourself out of a hole, but the idea of actually earning life, having life, coming to life. What is repentance unto life? And here's the answer. Repentance unto life is a saving grace by which a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin and an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ, does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it to God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Let me say it one more time. Um, Sorry I didn't do PowerPoint for this week. But repentance unto life is saving grace by which a sinner, out of a true sense of his sin, catch that first part, right? Number two, an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ does with grief and hatred of his sin turn from it to God with full purpose of and endeavor after new obedience. Those are the three areas that I want to hit on today. Three things stand out. Number one, repentance. It's a sense of sin. We really love our self-image and protecting the way that we look in front of others. We love thinking well about ourselves, but if we really want Jesus, we're going to have to give it up. That's why I gave that quote at first. The gospel isn't something that's accepted by really good people and rejected by really bad people. The gospel is actually something that's accepted by really bad people and it's rejected by good people. If we're going to move forward with Jesus, one of the things that we have to do is we've got to drop this whole shrine of self-esteem that we tend to tend to um, worship that. That's why a few months back we looked at Luke chapter 15 and the prodigal son, right? And what did the prodigal son have to do to get back to the father? He had to have that aha moment where he sat there and said, Father, I have sinned. I am no longer worthy. Right? 
In fact, actually, the best way that we can deaden and, and harm our souls is to think, God, I'm worthy. God, you are, you are actually blessed to have someone like me on your team. Jesus Christ becoming real to us, I have to say this, is not primarily an intellectual obstacle. We, we've said it here before. A lot of us think, you know what? I am one Sunday school class away from sharing my faith. If you could just pull together the right class and teach it in a compelling manner, I would share my faith. I am one Sunday school class away from giving to God in a glorifying way my money and my time and my energy. If you could just package this, if you could, you know, if you could put it, some handles on this and teach this in a really great way, I would be free to do it. I'm one Sunday school class away from loving you guys. It's going to say you bunch of jerks, right? You know, I'm one Sunday school class away. If you could just help me, man, if there was a video, if there was a video and a workbook, and if you could pull those together and alliterate it, because we know pastors are supposed to alliterate everything. If you could alliterate it and put a video and a workbook and maybe a website, I would love these other people in this church and I would actually give up some of my time for them. But until then, you know what? I'm close. We think it's all intellectual. We really believe that I am. It's because there's some deficiency in my understanding. For most of you, for most of you that are here today, it is not an intellectual issue. You know enough. In fact, you know too much. So let's say this. There may be some who go, well, I do have some real questions about Jesus. I don't know enough about him. You know what? Jesus is not afraid of really honest questions. He will answer your questions. And he will give you a thorough answer to your questions. The problem is that sometimes we use something like that to get behind as a shield for our lives, for those of us who know, for those of us who understand. The biggest barrier for most of us, honestly, is our own self-concept, our own self-awareness. We don't really think that we're sinners. We think that we do pretty well. We really expect that when we go to the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to come out with like a 95. And that's just because I'm humble. <laughs> I would have said like 100 or maybe 110. But I'm, I'm too humble to say that. It's not true. I've got to be honest with you. The Sermon on the Mount is meant to show us that really good people reject Jesus. But really broken, needy people like you and me we cling to Jesus. We find life in Jesus. So, there's this sense of sin. And when Jesus said repent, bottom line, what he was saying is, you know what guys? It's time to start owning up now. It's time that you and I... Has there ever been an area of sin in your life that you just kind of kept hidden? Then you finally, by the grace of God, were able to bring that out and just say, this is who I am. 
How was that? Freeing. The people I know, when we talk through those things, they just sit there and go, finally, I am out of prison. When Jesus calls us to repent and have a sense of our sin, I know it is rough when the Holy Spirit takes and uses our day-to-day events in a way that is going to show us our sin. And I know that that's what the Holy Spirit loves to do. If you've ever sat with me for premarital or for marriage counseling, you know that we sit there and say marriage is not about you being happy, right? That not first and foremost. That's not the key design of marriage. The key design of marriage is that God wants you to know him and he's also going to help you know yourself. And what are you going to find? Marriage is going to show you what? How good you are? How loving you are? How patient you are? How kind you are? How much you think about someone else all the time, right? Marriage is going to do these things for you, isn't it? Oh, yeah, right, yeah. Marriage is going to show me what? That I am a sinner. And then God blesses you with children. And what are children going to show you? Yeah, how much more of a sinner? When you thought, this is as deep as this well can go, God gives you a child, and all of a sudden you go, whoa, the bottom fell out, okay? And you also get to see that they're not much better, right? Because <laughs> isn't that the other thing? We're in these comprehensive relationships. When we live as family together, uh, one of our identity markers is that we are our family, and I love it because this morning I went down to use the bathroom downstairs, and I know that's a personal thing, but when I walked in there, I went to wash my hands, and uh, there was one paper towel, not even a roll. Okay, There was one paper towel right where the paper towel roll should be. And I'm like, we're family. That's what it's like in my family. There's that much milk left in the container. You know, There's one lonely paper towel leaning up against the thing. I love you, whoever left that in there. Okay, So I, I put a new roll on. So someone else gets to use that. But we're, when we're family, we find out, wow, I can't go get another roll of paper towels, so I'm just going to drape this one here. It, the Holy Spirit loves to work in us and show us our sinfulness. Why? Because He wants us to hate ourselves? No, because He loves us. We're praying for Sandy and Kathy. But His doctors this week went in to find out where the disease is. And I would love for that answer to have been different. But it was kind, and it was loving, and it was good for them to do that. It was a long day. And the long hasn't ended yet. Because now there's treatment. But the Holy Spirit loves you more. And He's going to bust you open. He is going to show you who you are. He is going to work in you in this same way. So the Holy Spirit gives us, He is kind to shine light on sin in our lives. I always hear people say, boy, I thought I'd be further along than I am right now. Reality is the Holy Spirit's just doing His work. He's sitting there going, boy, again, the well is deep. You can't handle it if I show it all to you. 
That's the first part of repentance. But the second part that we need to see in this definition, really important, is an apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. Yes, I need to see my sin. But if all of I see my, is, is my sin, that will never change me for good. I will only become a better sinner if I find my sin. If that is all that I get, it won't change me. It'll drive me underground. I'll begin to become better at hiding my hypocrisies. I'll keep a good front, but I'll always be looking for loopholes. But a sense of sin with the mercy of God in Christ will send us into warp speed repentance. The Bible says, Romans 2.4, right? God's kindness is meant, what? To lead you to repentance. So the Holy Spirit doesn't just highlight your sin so you can hate yourself. He highlights your sin because He also wants to highlight how much Jesus loves you. I mean, think about it. When we sin, bold face, fist raised against God, doing what we know we shouldn't do, what's Jesus doing for us? He's praying for you. The Holy Spirit's praying for you. They're loving you. Repentance is a turning away from sin. We'll see that as the third part of this. But we need to see it. It's not primarily turning away from sin. It's not just doing penance. It's not just saying, I'm doing something wrong, so I need to turn here. Instead, it has to include that apprehension of the mercy of God in Christ. We have to see that. We have to recognize Romans 5, 6, while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So it's not just seeing my sin. It is also becoming convinced of the grace and love of God. And some of us today are stalled. Because as we're moving forward, the gospel has excavated inside your life and it's pulled up a pile of crap. I hate to say it that way, but that's what it's found. Okay, And it's pulled up this pile and you're just standing there and you're staring at it. And we're thinking, I can't believe this is in here. And we're trying to think, do I, do I push it back in the hole? What do I do to cover this up? People are going to smell this pretty soon. But we're not at all looking to even find out who Jesus is or what Jesus thinks about us. I mean, my sense is for some of you, you are not at all convinced that Jesus loves you. And that's your sticking point. And you're used to religion, which says, stop doing this stuff. Get rid of this pile. But Christianity, Jesus comes along and says, no, you will not get rid of that pile unless you are already convinced that you're not just so bad that Jesus had to die, but that you're so loved that Jesus was glad to die for you. Do you believe that? Here, let me get the third one. The third one is obedience. There's this new obedience. Receiving mercy, like we talked about last week, remember? Exodus chapter 34, God, I'm the Lord, the Lord, uh, um, 
merciful and gracious. So receiving mercy, receiving grace, receiving patience, receiving this overflowing, abundant, steadfast love, receiving forgiveness of sin and iniquity, receiving all that from a morally serious God who doesn't just sweep things under the rug, but instead always deals with sin. When we receive all of that, we change. We change. God, remember, gives us that patience, that space where we begin to change. The power of God's love is a power for newness of life in very practical ways. Because a, a repentant heart opens up to God. A repentant heart longs for more of God. A repentant heart hungers for the Word of God. Whether that message is comforting or whether that message is rebuking. A repentant heart enjoys the people of God. A repentant heart wants to spread the surprise of what they've encountered in the gospel with others, with their neighbors. A repentant heart says, I want to go further with God and for God than I've ever gone before, further than I've ever dreamed of going. Let me ask a question. When you hear those definitions, do you sit there and go, yeah, I've got a repentant heart. We're not one Sunday school class away from sharing our faith. We're a repentant heart away from sharing our faith because a repentant heart can't help but want to talk about it. We're not one Sunday school class away from loving the, you know, the people around you. We're one repentant heart away. And I realize this is challenging. It's scary. But that's why... Repentance is that idea of coming to Jesus and saying, it's time to open up. It's time to come, just trust Him. When He says who He is, He's really going to accept you that way. And that's why it's also important. Because if we don't have that repentant heart, you know what? We'll do what a lot of kind of New Englandish churches do will be a place that if anybody dares to come and really be honest and open, what we have to do is cut them off. We've got to sever that. Because we've got to maintain this level of who we are. We've got, we've got to have people think, well, those are Christians. Christians are good people. Huh. That's why we repeat to ourselves all the time, whether your heart joins in it or not, we are not good people here. We are messed up, broken people. And if you are a messed up person, if you are struggling, as long as you're willing to be honest about it, you are in here. Now, again, if you've got to maintain your, your, your superiority, if you've got to maintain your image, if you've, got to, if you've got to keep a distance so that people don't know who you really are, you're not going to fit well. All of life for Wyndham Baptist Church is repentance. That's what we're called to.
So second question, we'll go through this quicker. What did Jesus mean by the kingdom of heaven is at hand? And I'm not going to explain everything through this, but really what you can do is you can say this term, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, same term, same message. Let me just draw this out, one aspect of this. The kingdom of God, if you have to take this as a, as a definition, uh, if I remember it correctly, Josh can help me if I get it wrong. I'm pretty sure I'm pretty close. But it's God's people living in God's place under God's rule and also receiving his blessing. So the, the Garden of Eden, remember? God's people, Adam and Eve, living in God's place, this garden He created for them, living under God's rule, being the people, living the way God wanted them to live. And they were receiving the blessing of being with God and being provided for by God. That's what creation was all about. It's the image. That's where the Bible ends, isn't it? God's people in God's place, under God's rule, receiving His blessing. But what happened next? We got creation, fall. The other word that lately I've heard is, uh, and I'm, I'm really digging, is catastrophe. It's like that creation catastrophe. Because it was catastrophic to the human race when we decided we didn't need to live as God's people under God's rule in God's place. And instead of receiving God's blessing, what did we receive when we sinned? When our forefather, Adam and Eve, when they rejected God, what, what did we receive from God? Yeah, death. Curse instead of blessing. But what has God's movement been ever since that day? To restore His kingdom. To bring His people back into His place, you know, underneath his rule and to receive his blessing that's what he's been working on and that's why he called out israel right that's why he called out a chosen people but did they really respond did they really bring this back well they were god's people and they lived in god's place when they were in canaan the problem was they weren't able to live under god's rule why because their hearts were broken their hearts were messed up when jesus comes what's he saying to people when he says the kingdom of God is at hand, what's he saying? What you've been longing for ever since we left the garden, I'm right here. I'm right here. Here's one thing I want to apply this to, though. Is this just some sense of like that God out there having kind of His ambiguous people living kind of all over this wide earth? So often it becomes this kind of ethereal picture. It's this, in other words, what I want to say is the kingdom of heaven does not mean God's kingdom up in heaven. The kingdom of heaven means God's heavenly rule here on earth. That's why Jesus taught us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it's done in heaven. Okay, he, He's drawn out that. The kingdom of heaven is this world. The one that we are so used to now. The kingdom of heaven is this place. It's, it's this, it's this, it's this 
place that we're so used to, this world that feels like home. But it's the reality that Jesus is changing things too. Redemption, restoration. Redemption coming in Jesus. And, and now this new creation, this new transformation in the world. It's a world that's coming and is already coming where we never have anything to fear again. It's the reality that God is going to remake this world so that nothing ever makes us sad again. There's nothing to degrade us ever again. A world where 50-year-olds no longer have to battle cancer. Their families no longer have to fear. Because the Messiah has come and died for their sins and been risen again and He's pouring out Himself, His life, onto all who are open to Him. What we're learning then is that the kingdom of heaven is not just that golden day, that unsurpa- but it, it, it is this unsurpassable day, that day beyond which there's nothing greater when we actually get our innocence back. And God makes all the sad things come untrue forever. Essentially, you could take Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, you could paraphrase it this way. Jesus essentially says, take heart. Open up. Get ready for some changes. Because the recovery is now beginning. Jesus is saying, I am the recovery. Follow me. So the Sermon on the Mount, I really believe, is going to lead us into a freshness that only can Jesus can give right now before the eternal perfection arrives. And as He speaks to us, our part then, our part is to receive Him. To let Him into those places in our lives, especially where we are most worn out and skeptical. Where we are most worn out and skeptical at the very point where we have given up Jesus can meet you fresh new he's got the energy and the power and the love he's not tired of engaging you he is loving he is looking forward to engaging you so let's go into repentance Let's go in with this anticipation that we are going to see some things that we don't like about ourselves, but that we are going to find a love that supersedes what we hate about ourselves. Let's go into it with with fresh eyes and kind of relearn life from the Sermon on the Mount. Let's find out what the good life ought to be, what it means to be a disciple. If we do that together as a community... God is going to make us into this really kind of prophetic presence in our world. And that's going to cause Jesus to be more and more real to your neighbor, to your coworker, to that dad who is never going to accept Jesus in your mind, to that brother, to that sister, whoever it is. So let's let's just give ourselves to that, will you?
Maybe there's some of you here who, I mean, your first challenge is to say, boy, have you, have you ever really come? Is this, is this your day to enter the kingdom of heaven? If you'll give Jesus your broken heart, He promises you a place close to Him in a whole new world. Have you come to that place? If you do know Jesus, will you just ask Him for a repentant heart? A heart that's able to balance those three aspects. Father, help us. I want to pray especially that You would help us to know that You really do love us and that You are not bothered to walk us through repentance. Instead, that You are thrilled to walk us through repentance. So help us to believe You. Help us to lean on You. Help us to be open to You and know that we will not be turned away. Instead, that You will gather us in. Thank You, Jesus. In Your name we pray. Amen.